Hello, listeners out there. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of True Crime on Easy Street. We appreciate all of our loyal listeners. But just in case you're a new listener to the show, let me give you a brief synopsis on everything that you've missed over the course of the last 18 months. So the three of us sit here in the same chairs, in the same office, in the same building, beside the same restaurant, in the same town, in the same state, talking about the same damn thing all of the time. That is pretty much everything you've missed since April of 2021. My name is Scott Wright. I am a mediocre journalist. I'm Kelly Turner, and I'm not a doctor. I'm Katie Givens, and I'm not a lawyer. Which makes me think of something that I've been wanting to bring up. You know, she's going to law school. Who's she? She would be Katie. Okay. Sorry, I always do that, don't I? Because it's like I'm talking to you, and or the two of us, or the three of us, and nobody else knows what I'm talking about. Right, you're pointing to Katie. Katie I pointed to Katie. Currently going to law school, and and the only reason she did this was to screw up our intro. Well, it's funny you bring that up because I figured out that as soon as she passes the bar, yeah, I'm going to start a campaign to have her disbarred. Oh, good. So that it doesn't screw up the whole thing. Good. So, I, I'm right with you. Yeah. No Silently. Yeah. I won't. Well, I'll, Katie, I'll take the lead on this. We'll Don't worry about, about it. it. We'll talk about it. Yes. Shh. Okay. Don't say anything. She's sitting right there. It's okay. a long time coming. We got time, guys. <laughs> We've got time. We'll all be sick of each other before she passes the bar. Yeah. It takes a little bit of time. Uh, speaking of the restaurant next door, there's a fantastic concert that's taking place this Friday. Mm-hmm. If you're listening to us on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday, you've still got time to get there. Driving and crying. Driving and crying. All right. You said you weren't going to do that, and then I know. you did it. It's the worst band name to say when you're Southern because it just makes it worse. Those, those long eyes. Yeah. Dry. So, no, do it again. Drive, Go on. Driving and crying. You're supposed to drop that's the cheese. Even, that's worse. Driving yeah. and crying. That's it. Yeah. And that's yeah. just an end with an apostrophe. I was about to say, the actual band name has the apostrophe. Yes. Right? It does. Yep. It does. So what's your favorite song? From Driving and Crying. I have too many favorite songs from Driving and Crying to pick one. How about you? Uh, oh, boy. I mean, All right, we're going to have to cut this. No, we're not going to have to cut this. I think, let's see. Do I like, I like Honeysuckle Blue. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that might not be my favorite. Okay. I might have another favorite. I'm drawing a blank on the one that I... Dadgummit. How long is this going to take? It's not going to take long. <laughs> oh, I'm going to think of it. I promise. But anyway. Katie's looking Katie, it up. Katie, no, what's no. your favorite I song? only know the one song. Uh, the I'm Going Straight to Hell song. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was looking up when these songs came out, and I was right. They were it was before I was born. So I have an excuse. <laughs> yeah, back in the, uh, what's what? the other popular Early one? to mid-90s. There's uh, Straight to Hell, there's Honeysuckle Blue, and then there's another one that's, that's equally as popular. Um... They have a lot. They I do literally, I don't know. I'm just like reading off a list. I know you really are. And and y'all talk about something else and I'll just figure it out because it's going to, it's going to bother me. Well, we're supposed me, to talk about the Manson but it's, well, it, but murders again today. But before we get today, to that though, it Yeah, does, but, but while we're introducing that, then you the can be looking up the song that it is that you think you fly like. Fly Me Courageous. Thank you. Fly, fly Me Courageous. Me courageous. Oh, that okay. would have been the next one on the list if I'd have just kept reading. Darn it. <laughs> I know. But that is Friday night. On Easy Street, mm-hmm. I should say it that way, right? Yeah, On sure. Why Easy not? Street, yeah. Inside Easy Street Restaurant Bar Performance Hall, but it turns into just a performance hall at at that time because is the that going to be nine o'clock? The, well, the Katie concert Gibbons? starts at starting. Yeah, the nine concert o'clock. starts. At, does it start at seven? My ticket said seven. Doors open at seven. Doors, Doors open, open at, at seven. seven. Yeah, because we're gonna we're gonna fi- we're gonna be open for dinner for for the afternoon crowd, okay. but then we're gonna shut everything down for a couple of hours. 
and then get ready for the big concert. There's going to be a limited menu that night. Shane was, I was just next door uh, having an alcoholic beverage with Shane. You guys you now? might have been tipped it's off to so that. so out of character for you. <laughs> I know. But anyway, so they're talking about the menu as we speak. So it's going to be a limited menu because it's going to be a full house. 200 people are going to be inside Easy Street on Friday night for driving and crying. That was good. So they're going to make it easy for the kitchen staff mm-hmm. so that we don't have the entire menu to, to, to prepare. Now, I, I do have a few questions before I go. Go on. And since it's all about me, uh-huh. I'm just going to take this opportunity to ask those. Why not? Are they taking out all of the tables? No. So the tables will still be there as usual? Yes. Just, okay. I think they may move some around, give more of a okay. dance floor. Situation. Okay. So if I if I want to dance, I've got yes more. Room and we all than know usual. that you're going to dance. Mm-hmm. So you know, I mean, yeah, we're we're gonna make room. I think probably for people to do some moving and grooving. Okay. At driving and crying. I'm excited. Yeah, because we sold seats, so everyone who bought mm-hmm. a ticket will have a chair if they would like to sit in one. Okay, so someone can't just I can't just have to stand up. I I will have a chair to sit in yes. when I'm tired of dancing. Which. You will need at some point. I've <laughs> okay. seen you dance. You do that uh, Elaine Bennis uh, full body dry heave <laughs> set to music thing when you dance. So you're going to need to take a break at some point. You have no idea what you're talking about. I'm an incredible dancer, Scott Wright. <laughs> That's not what your husband told me. <laughs> well, but he had been drinking when he said that. We don't listen to him. <laughs> I don't. I'm glad you don't either. So, Katie, are you going to be there? Oh, I will be there. Scott, you're there. I am there. Okay, I'm yeah. there too. So, so we should we do like a live remote? No, we're gonna have our own table, and we're just we're gonna you know do our own thing during. Might be a good so. time to sell some t-shirts. Scott doesn't realize the importance of audio quality in a podcast. To all our listeners who don't know, Scott sometimes throws out these ideas like, mm-hmm. hey, let's have some like jingling forks in the background, or let's make it sound like we've dropped something. And we're like, Scott, no one wants to listen no. to that. That's no one true. Wants to hear that. We have this conversation we have, uh, on a regular basis. We have these nice, sure microphones. Like, we have professional podcast equipment for our, our you know. We have professional podcast equipment. We just really, don't have any professional podcasters. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's just us. So <laughs> these professional mics are stuck with the amateurs. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, so. so but if, if you hear clanging forks and chitty chat and all of that in the background, that's, that would probably get on your nerves. If you, Scott, if you mm-hmm. pulled up a podcast. Yeah. And it was clean. And it clean, sounded like I was in the kitchen at a restaurant. Yeah. Would you continue listening? I don't know if the whole premise was that we are broadcasting live from a restaurant. I might at least get the reference. Well, we also can't control what the crowd around us says or yells or, you know, if they're, if there's a table near us and they're drunk. If you're worried about somebody dropping an F-bomb, look no further than the chair right beside you. No, I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about if there's a table near us and they are talking about someone. Uh-huh. And oh, I get it. pick it all up. Then we're implicated in that. Mm, and yeah. we don't have a lawyer on staff yet. We're we working don't. on it, but not we yet. Not, yep, not yep. to date. We need to figure out. The catchphrase now it has stressed me out. Thank you for that, Scott. <laughs> We've got time. We have now, now I'm stressed lots out. Lots of time. <laughs> lots of time. <laughs> all right. So we, for the past two or the previous two episodes, mm-hmm. 
Manson part one, Manson part two. Scott, you did an incredible job on that. I know you have been obsessed with Charles Manson for the past few weeks because you've had to be. That's okay. Fine. You, you've had to eat, Asterisk sleep, beside and, that. eat, sleep and breathe. Yes. Charles Manson and the Manson family. Ugh, and he stinks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Trust it's, a, me. it's been a rough, a rough ride. Yeah. But what I should tell individuals who may have clicked on this one for the first time, you need to go back and listen to Manson part one and Manson part two. Yeah, nobody goes to the last chapter of a book and starts there unless right. you're an asshole. Like you, you do that, don't you? Only when I have to. <laughs> <laughs> Busted. So, yeah. So but yeah, go back and listen to the first two and then today just, will make sense. Right. Of just Manson. You don't have to pick up our podcast way back. But we don't mind one. if you do. If you want to do that, that's I mean, fine. I gave everybody the whole synopsis of everything they've missed for the last 18 months, basically, in the intro. So you're basically caught up. But for yeah, the last two weeks, it's been Manson. And so the trial and everything that Katie's about to walk us through will make more sense if you listen to part one and part two. And you'll know the Alabama tie. But as I understand it, there's also another mm, Alabama There is another one that Katie found last today. week. So we try to always bring that back home mm-hmm. to Alabama. And sometimes we're successful and sometimes we're not. And that's okay because it's our podcast and we just kind of do what we yeah, want. Yeah, we're half-assing this. So sit back and enjoy or not. Exactly. Because we're doing what we like. I love it. Do we have any shout outs before we finally get going today? Mm, my legs asleep. Is that a shout out? <laughs> I should probably do this. I don't. I don't. <sighs> no, I don't have any shout outs this week. Okay, I don't. I don't believe that we do. I will double check that before we get hey, to the end you, of the episode. You half-assed listeners out there, give us some five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and make sure and include your name in the uh, remarks. Yes, and we will give you a shout out here. Mm. Yeah, so I, I don't blame us. I blame our listeners. I'll give a little bit of a, a shout out here. I, uh, a couple of colleagues of mine have uh, begun to listen and they've been very complimentary. So I would like to say a big hello to Terry and Cheryl for listening. Thank thanks, you so much. Thanks, guys. Hey guys. Mm-hmm. We appreciate that. So, yeah, appreciate yeah, we've got that. some T-shirts. Let us know your size. Yeah. I'm still and trying to pedal those words. T-shirts. You are. They're just great. sitting in a box. They're yeah. great shirts. I love mine. Yeah. Anyways. All right, so we've done everything. I'm done. All right, I'm going to sit back in this chair and listen to you guys tell me about the things that I don't know about the Manson slash Tate LaBianca case. All right, take it away, Katie. Well, last week, Scott had touched on that, Susan, a, a lot of the information that we have on the details of these crime scenes come from a grand jury testimony by one of the members of the Manson family, Susan Atkins. So, we're going to pick up in October of 1969. Inyo? Inyo County? Inyo, okay. Inyo County officers raided Barker Ranch, which is in a remote area south of Death Valley National Monument. 24 members of the Manson family are arrested. Various charges, arson, grand theft among the top two. Cult leader Charles Manson is found here. He is dressed entirely in buckskins. Fun fact. Yeah, he's got that one outfit that he really likes. He wears it a lot. I'm sure it smelled terrific. Speaking of the smells. Yikes. And Susan Atkins is among those that's arrested on this day. This is when she is in custody and begins to tell her story to another inmate named Virginia Graham. She even tells Virginia of a list of celebrities that the family had planned to kill. 
Among those included Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton, Tom Jones, Steve McQueen, and Frank Sinatra. So through an inmate friend of Virginia's, a man named Ronnie Howard, word of Atkins' testimony or, not, or her stories at this point that she's telling Virginia, they, they reached the LAPD. So they're like, oh, well, maybe we should go talk to this woman. About this same time, detectives on the LaBianca case are interviewing a member of the Straight Satan Bikers group named Al Springer. And he's a man that Manson had tried to recruit into the Manson family. Mm -hmm. So Springer tells detectives that Manson had bragged to him in August at Spawn Ranch after offering for him to have his pick among, there was like 18 or so, Naked girls just scattered about the ranch. Yeah. He's bragging to him about knocking off, in his words, knocking off five people. So let me get this straight. The Manson, or Charles Manson, was too much for the straight Satan biker guy. Is that what you're saying? He was for this particular. This particular There was another biker guy who who hung out at Spawn Ranch before they moved to that, what did you call it, Barker Ranch or Baker Ranch? Uh, Baker Ranch. They moved out into the desert to the Baker Ranch, but before they did that, the Spawn Ranch is where the no, sorry, Manson family... it is family, Barker Ranch. Okay. Barker Ranch. The, the Manson family hung out at the Spawn Ranch, the movie ranch that we mentioned last week. And Charlie wanted... Charlie felt like it would be protection for the family if he got associated with one of the local biker gangs. And what'd you call them? The... Uh, straight Satan? The Straight, straight Satans. Satan. So... They're individuals just like everybody else. There was one of the straight Satans that spent some time at the Spawn movie ranch, but this Al Springer character, he was a little bit more of a straight-laced member of the biker gang, and he didn't want to have anything to do he with it. like, you're yeah. too much for me. Yes. Charles Manson. Got yes. it. He says that uh, when Springer told the detectives that Manson had said that the Tate killers wrote something on the refrigerator in blood, something about pigs, mm-hmm. the detectives were like, oh, well, that... That is what happened, you know, things that most people wouldn't have known. And still, it struck them as odd that anyone would confess to several murders to someone that they barely knew. So they thought he was just kind of, you know. Mm-hmm. They weren't used the to mouth. dealing with Charles Manson level crazy just yet. Yeah. Well, and it is really shocking how common that is mm-hmm. when you have a pretty high profile murder. Police have to filter through that. A lot of folks claiming that they are responsible Mm -hmm. for it, and they're not. And a lot of people are shocked by that. I know I was when I first got into looking into the true crime world and and all that, but that's a really common thing, so they have to kind of filter through that. Yeah. And like Scott mentioned, it took another member of the Straight Satans, his name was Danny DiCarlo, uh, to move the focus of the investigation right to Charles Manson, because DiCarlo also told police that he heard a Manson family mem- member brag about "we got five piggies," so it kept you know that was five, the they talked a lot. That was the Manson family's <laughs> phrase for the establishment. Mm-hmm. It was the cops and the establishment. They used the same phrase, "political piggies" or "pigs," mm-hmm. to describe people who they wanted mm-hmm. to put an end to. Okay. And Manson had asked DiCarlo um, what to use to de- decompose a body. That's never good. Never a good question to get no, from no. somebody. That and is, I'm guessing lime wow. was the answer, right? Ah, yeah. We've all seen Breaking Bad. Yeah. I, don't think I think Di- it's lime. I don't think DiCarlo was telling the police that he knew and he gave that information. Okay, probably not. That was probably wise. We talked a little bit about 
Bugliosi, who was the chief prosecutor uh, for this trial when it's coming up. But the day after he gets the assignment to be on this case, he joins the search of the Spawn Movie Ranch, where police gather 22 caliber bullets, shell casings from a canyon used by family members for target practice. The next day, the search party moved on to the isolated Barker Ranch, like I mentioned earlier, uh, which was the most recent home of the family on the edge of that Death Valley. In the small house on the Barker Ranch, Bugliosi saw there was a small cabinet under the sink where Charles Manson had been found hiding during that October raid. You know where I said he was just wearing those buckskins earlier. Mm -hmm. On an abandoned bus in a gully, investigators discovered magazines from World War II, all containing articles about Hitler. Surprise, surprise. Mm. Yeah, Charlie was a big fan of Adolf Hitler. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then this is where we've got our suspects that come into play. They, they take suspects of Susan Atkins, Patricia Krenwinkel, Leslie Van, ha- Van Houten, Linda Kasabian, and Charles or Tex Watson. They call him Tex. Susan Atkins was already in custody um, from that earlier raid, like we mentioned, and they promised to not seek the death penalty with her in return for testimony before the grand jury, plus consideration of a further reduction in charges for her continued cooperation if she continued to talk and answer their questions and be available to them during any trials that would come from her testimony. This is when she gives that gruesome grand jury testimony that Scott talked about where literally the... She basically laid out the entire two nights of murder in Benedict Canyon and over on uh, Waverly Drive in uh, the Los Felix community where she talked about the Tate murders and the LaBianca murders. She laid it all out on December the 4th or 5th, whatever day that was. After the the grand jury deliberated for all of 20 minutes and returned murder indictments against Manson, Tex Watson, Krenwinkle, Atkins, Kasabian, and Van Houten. You said 20 minutes. It took them 20 minutes. 20 minutes to to figure this out. In half a day, she said some pretty... Crazy things. She said some pretty incriminating things. Incriminating as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Leslie Van Houten was picked up for questioning in California. Tex Watson was arrested in Texas. Patricia Krenwinkel was apprehended in Mobile, Alabama. Mm, There's our other Alabama connection. She was here staying with, was it an aunt she was... Yes. Living with. Mm-hmm. She had attended classes at Spring Hill College, which was a, I think it was a Jesu- Jesuit college mm-hmm. in Mobile. And she had gone back to visit some friends or family members, and that's where she was picked up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Linda Kasabian, she surrendered to uh, some local police. She was all the way in Concord, New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. So they've kind of scattered at this point. They were trying to get Tex Watson. They got everybody extradited back to California except Tex Watson because he was in Texas. And Texas, you know, they like to handle their own. So there was like, Mm -hmm. it was kind of getting bogged down getting him extradited to Texas. So they go on with indicting the other four and he's kind of left out of this first trial. So trial begins for the remaining four on July 15th, 1970. And first thing Charles Manson does is he requests to ask potential jurors a few simple childlike questions that are real to me in my reality, quote, end quote. Mm. That request was denied. Yeah. (laughs) Charlie, you can't talk to the jury. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the thing was that uh, Manson was allowed to be his own attorney for a 
for a few weeks. What have we learned before about- the judge said this is a fucking terrible idea? You're not your own attorney yeah, anymore. Yeah. What What have we learned about people who try to be their own attorney on this show? Always. They're usually nuts. They're uh, they're usually jailed. Yeah. <laughs> Found guilty. Just ask Ted Bundy. Of course, we've not done Ted Bundy. It was on Christmas Day of 1969 that the judge finally acceded to Manson's requests to be his own attorney. He said, fine, you want to be your own lawyer? Go for it. Do it. Merry Christmas. So for three months, two and a half months, he got to be his own attorney. And then he said, stop this madness. Katie's going to get there, but that's what happened initially. All right. During like all the voir dire process and, you know, the picking of the jury and the witnesses and everything like that, uh, Manson just has this fixating, penetrating stare. He's first. He stares at Judge Judge on this trial. Is his name is Judge Older. He stares at him for hours, hours just without moving. He's just got this stare. And That's always a good idea to stare at. Well, the it judge. worked on all those girls. He's thinking it might work on the judge, but he's going to be disappointed there. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then the next day, that stare gets fixated on. Bugliosi. Mm-hmm. After getting Manson's stare treatment for that day, Bugliosi takes advantage of a recess and he slides his chair on next to Manson and he's asked him, he's like, what are you trembling about, Charlie? Are you afraid of me? And Manson responds, uh, Bugliosi, you think I'm bad and I'm not. He went on to tell Bugliosi that Atkins was, in his words, just a stupid little bitch who told a story to get attention. Yikes. Mm-hmm. And after a month of this uh, choosing of the jury, a jury of seven men and five women are selected. And the jury was told that they'd they'd have to be sequestered. Mm -hmm. But they knew it'd be for a while. They had no idea exactly how long. They didn't know it was going to be this long. Yeah. Oh, can you imagine? I think the judge told them three months they would be sequestered. Turned out to be 225 days longer than any previous jury in history. Yeah. I would be so mad. And they sent them, well, the good news for the jury was they sent them to the Ambassador Hotel, mm. which was already kind of on its way down in Los Angeles at the time. It turned out to be in a neighborhood that wasn't, uh, uh, it wasn't as economically viable as some of the other parts of LA came to be. But that's where Bobby Kennedy was assassinated in mm. June of 68. It was the same hotel where after he'd won the California primary, he walked back through the kitchen to get out and Sirhan Sirhan shot him in the kitchen at the ambassador. So uh, already bad things have happened at the ambassador hotel. Mm. Mm. Opening statements begin on July 24th and Manson enters the courtroom sporting a freshly cut bloody X on his forehead, signifying, he said in a statement, that I have X'd myself from your world. So the crazy begins. Mm, yeah, the crazy begins. And then uh, wasn't it the next day that the three girls showed up in the courtroom with an X on their foreheads mm-hmm. as well? Oh, my. Bugliosi, in his opening statement for the prosecution, indicated that his principal witness would be Linda Kasabian, who's a Manson family member who accompanied the killers to, you know, that the Tate and the La Bianca residences. Kasabian was the lookout, right? Yes, she's yes. the lookout. She's the one who at, never entered the house. At Cielo Drive. Did she ever enter the La Bianca house? No, she did not. Okay. All right. So prosecution turns to Kasabian with a promise of immunity for her testimony. Because at this point, Susan Atkins, we think probably threatened by Charlie or or just told by Charlie. Or yeah, persuaded by Charlie. Yeah, that she announced she would not testify at the trial. 
So everything she said in that grand jury testimony, she's going to repudiate. I'm not going to have anything to do. I'm going to deny everything that I said. She was like, I was lying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and Bugliosi says in Helter Skelter, thank God that this happened because he had a real problem with giving Susan Atkins a reduced sentence. Mm -hmm. In her case, it was going to be second degree murder. Right. Mm -hmm. She wasn't getting immunity. Right. There was never a promise of that. They took the death penalty off the table. and Yeah, she had been involved in it. So, Bugliosi really did not want to give her this deal, but it was the best description that he had until she recanted her testimony in May and they knew that Linda Kasabian had not entered the residence, Mm -hmm. but had been told and knew pretty much everything that happened. So, Bugliosi loved the fact that he got to use Kasabian's testimony in court instead of Atkins, and they gave her immunity. And Linda Kasabian, just, I don't want to sound, I don't know how this is going to sound, but Linda Kasabian just just talking and and her her whole demeanor, it comes across, I mean, just less crazy. She wasn't. I use that word. She had not been indoctrinated by Charlie Manson. No, she was not. She was not as brainwashed. And honestly, Susan, I mean, Susan has some mental. She illness. was shit nuts crazy the day she died in two thousand and nine. Mm-hmm. She she's long history of mental illness, and then the brainwashing on top of that, mm-hmm. the persuasion by Manson was was worse. So it probably did work out better for him that Linda Kasabian was able to. She was to. more believable, mm-hmm. I think, as far as the prosecution would, was concerned, right? She was Eddie? more relatable to a jury yeah. than she had. Susan. She showed remorse. She showed She was very uh, remorseful. Sorrow. She, was a better, she was a better witness. I mean, just, and, and they said, I, I remember reading in Helter Skelter, when Susan Atkins got off that stand, that grand jury testimony in December of 69, nobody could believe that not one time had she shown any sorrow, any remorse? Mm-hmm. She just told it like she, Bugliosi says this, like she was telling about what happened her to her that day at school. Yes, and she even referred to the 18-year-old in the truck that as a, the, as a the, thing. Yeah, that's, that's the, the thing I saw when they showed her a picture of Stephen Parent's dead body in the car mm-hmm. uh, outside the gate at Cielo Drive. Yes, and so then you have Linda on the stands, and like you said, Katie, she's a better witness. Mm-hmm. And she's actually, Linda is sorry for her part in this. Yes. Very sorry. And, and so the jury was able to relate to that and, and have some sympathy for her. And, and she was believable. Casabian mm-hmm. told the jury that no family member ever refused an order from Charlie. She said, we always wanted to do anything and everything for him. But then on August 3rd, she's still testifying on this day. And, Charlie decides he stands up before the jury. He holds up a copy of the Los Angeles Times with the headings, Manson guilty, Nixon declares. Mm -hmm. And the defense immediately moves for a mistrial on the grounds that the headline prejudiced the jury against the defense. Mm -hmm. But Judge Elder's like, no. Denies that motion after each juror states under oath that he or she would not be influenced by the president's reported declaration of guilt in this newspaper heading so mm-hmm. that doesn't last long but you can't you can't blame him for trying that one well no, it's no. not the last time richard dixon shoved his foot all the way down his throat good lord mm-hmm. all right testimony corroborating that of kasabian came from several other prosecution witnesses most notably the other women that atkins confided in while she was incarcerated like we mentioned the virginia graham other witnesses described receiving threats from Manson, 
evidence of Manson's total control over their lives of family members or conversations in which Manson had told of the coming of Helter Skelter. So that's all coming from witness testimony that's corroborating everything because Sabian's already said during her testimony. And the jury can see this. I mean, they see him walk in with his ex and then the next day they see the girls come in with their ex. Yeah, they're not doing a very good job of hiding the fact that they are at his beck and call and are willing to do almost anything and everything that he tells them to do. If they're trying to put on a competent defense, it's falling apart day by day. Yes. The singing that the girls do. Yeah. I'll try to share... went down a TikTok rabbit hole and like that's one of the oh yeah tell us about that that you get is the creepy videos of the girls you know singing down the halls of the courtroom yeah being walked into the courtroom at uh department 104 and they're all singing in unison with their little uh jail dresses on what are they singing some 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 song that charlie has written that he has sung to them around the campfire for the last year and a half because charlie was a musician he was have established he wasn't very good because mediocre me- yeah. Mediocre yeah. musician yeah. at best. My kind of musician. <laughs> so we've established that. Okay, so that's what they were singing. Yeah. All right. And then we've got 19-year-old Paul Watkins, who was Manson's foremost recor- recruiter of young women. Uh, he provided key testimony about the strange motive for the Tate and LaBianca murders, including its link to the Book of Revelations. Like mm-hmm. there was, he had a whole... Yeah, the, Charlie's whole thing is Scientology, the Bible, and the Beatles. Yes. Those are his three yes. things. I mean, the White Album came out. He's he's linking revelations into it. And he's talking about Scientology. Because he, he picked up some key phrases. And th- I don't know anything about Scientology. But several times, Bugliosi mentions that it's not too hard to trace back some of the things that Charlie is saying to his followers uh, to the School of Scientology. Or to the mm-hmm. Church of Scientology. Well, and, and they have publications as well that he could easily have read or picked up yeah. and, and just taken from that too. So they publish things. Too. Yeah. I don't they know have, if he dabbled in it or books. not, but yeah. 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 I think he took a lot from what was around him and made it his own. Exactly. That's exactly what he did. Because mm-hmm. Watkins testified, you know, that he always was talking about Hilter Skelter, constantly yeah. talking about this Hilter Skelter. He was absolutely obsessed with that Beatles album. Well, he, he, he used the phrase Helter Skelter before the White Album came out. So in Charlie's mind, what happened when the Beatles album came out in late 69, early yeah. 70, it just reinforced everything that he had already believed himself and was espousing to his followers. Mm-hmm. And what does, It was confirmation to him. What does Helter Skelter mean? Because the Beatles use that. Manson that uses That came out in 68, the Beatles album. Okay, did. 68. Is this a common phrase that people say or said? Well, in England, a Helter Skelter is a slide at a county fair. Like you would get a burlap sack and oh. slide. That's what a Helter Skelter is in Great Britain, according to what I read. But to Charles Manson, Helter Skelter, Katie, correct me when I get this wrong, Helter Skelter meant the black on white race war that he was certain was coming. Mm-hmm. And when it didn't come when he wanted it to or when he needed it to, he felt like that what he could do to institute that to begin was to have these crimes committed at the Tate residence and the LaBianca residence. And then they would go and hide out at the Barker Ranch in the desert and wait on the blacks and the whites to kill each other. And then they would swoop up at the end and rule the world. That was what he told his followers, and that's what they believed. But what the Beatles meant by it was chaos. Mm. Yeah. That, like that, you know, that was kind of, that. that's 
mm-hmm. look it up. Because I I read one article, I think Refinery29 did an article on mm-hmm. their the different the meanings versus each other. And the the Beatles song was just talking about chaos. Yeah. They wanted to they wanted to do something that sounded different than anything else they had done. Yeah. So it's kind of like we would say here topsy turvy or yeah. exactly. fruit basket turnover. Yeah. Yep. You know, but that's not as cool sounding as Helter Skelter. Not at the time. You know, but it's also that was Helter Skelter's a, a British type. It phrase. was it was a common phrase in the British lexicon at the time. Okay. Got it. On November 16th, 1970, after 22 weeks of testimony, the prosecution rests its case. So when the trial resumes three days later, so prosecution rests its case, they give a three-day break, defense comes in, it's their turn to pick up. It's how trials work, if you don't know. The defense tells the courtroom, um, without calling a single witness, they say the defense rests. Yep. Is this when Charlie's still his own lawyer? No. No, no, no. He hasn't been his own lawyer for some time now. The court keeps pushing local attorneys, local defense attorneys onto him. And he, mm. he bitches and moans about every single one and tries to get them all thrown out. But he is not his own lawyer at this point. And yes. so finally the lawyer's like, just forget it. Defense rests. Well, they say the defense rests and <laughs> the three female defendants began shouting that they wanted to testify. They're, Uh-oh. They're going against Charlie? Yes. Ooh. They're going against their legal representation. Yes. They're going, yes. Oh, yes. okay. They're, they're lawyers saying, shut the Which fuck up. The best thing you can do is keep your mouth shut. Just be quiet and let's hope that they just think you're insane yes. and they don't give you the death But penalty. the girls all want to talk. They all oh. want to talk. They each have their own attorney. Okay. In chambers, attorneys for the women explain that although their clients want to testify, they are strongly opposed to that, believing that they would still be under the powerful influence of Manson and that they would testify that they planned and committed the murders without Manson's help. They're going to kick they're going to kick Charlie out of the courtroom. I mean, they're going to kick him back into the street. That's their plan, right? Katie, they want to they want to take the blame for the whole yes. thing and and let Charlie off the hook. So he that's can finish what, his work. I guess. Work, I guess. That's yeah. what the attorneys say anyway that they're like That's what the attorneys believe. They're just going to get up there and say that he didn't do anything, that this was their idea, he wasn't there, which I mean he wasn't there. He wasn't there. He didn't do anything other right. than brainwash them. Yeah, but the whole Bulliosi's whole uh uh argument about what the motive is mm-hmm. is Charlie's motive. Is Charlie's motive. Yes. Yeah, it is. He's right. I'm glad he he Took that route because mm-hmm. Manson would have just continued to do this. That's yes. there was that concern. Yeah. All right. So they return to the courtroom, and the judge is like, "Their right to testify takes precedent precedence over y- y- the objections from their counsel to not testify." So he's like, "They have a right to testify. Hop on up here and talk." Yep. And I mean, you know, there is, you know, they they're testifying under oath, so if they get up there. Yeah, if they they perjure themselves, they're in trouble for that too, right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. so he's like, come on up if you want to. Come on down. (laughs) Yeah. So first one up is Atkins. Okay. Susan Atkins, and she's sworn in as a witness, but her attorney, whose name was Dave Shin, he refuses to question her. He's like, I don't have any questions Uh, for her. (laughs) So returning to Chambers, one defense attorney complains that questioning their clients on the stand would be like aiding and abetting a suicide. Good Lord. Mm -hmm. So the next day comes another surprise because the next day Charles Manson announces that he wants to testify and he's going before his co-defendants. 
So he testifies first without the jury being present. They kick all the jury members out. Because they're like, we just don't know what he's going to say. That, yep. Because... <laughs> So that potentially excluded testimony relating to evidence incriminating the co-defendants and all mm-hmm. might be identified before it prejudices the jury. Because you can't unring a bell. You exactly. hear that all the time. Exactly. You cannot unring a bell. So he gets up there and he talks for over an hour. It's full of just nuts stuff. I mean, and at the conclusion of Bugliosi's brief cross-examination, like his, he gets up there and he says what he wants to say. And then Bugliosi cross-examines him. The judge asks Manson if he now wants to testify before the jury. Because, I mean, he's just got up there and he's just spouting nonsense. He replies, I have already relieved all the pressure I had. And he leaves the stand. And he looks at the counsel table to the three women and he says, you don't have to testify now. (laughs) Okay. so. Alrighty. Yep. There's one last weird thing that happens that said there was no more testimony from any of them. When the trial resumes on November 30th, following Manson's testimony, Ronald Hughes, who was the defense attorney for Leslie Van Houten, he didn't show up. He just doesn't come to court. A subsequent investigation reveals that he had disappeared over the weekend from a camping trip he took in the remote Sepsi Hot Springs area, northwest of Los Angeles. Oh my gosh, where is he? It's widely believed that he was ordered murdered by Manson for his determination to pursue a defense strategy at odds with that that favored Manson. So he didn't want to go with what Charlie wanted to do, so. So where? So the family had him killed. That's the speculation. Was he ever found? He was. I mean, he's, he was murdered, but yeah, he's, it's, because Hughes made it clear that his hope was to show that Van Houten was not acting independently as Manson had suggested. Yeah, he was, Ronald Hughes was Leslie Van Houten's attorney. Mm-hmm. Okay, let me get this straight. He goes on a camping trip uh-huh. over mm-hmm. the weekend. The weekend before the shit's going to hit the fan in the courtroom. And he gets murdered on this camping trip. That is the speculation. How did he die? What happened? Well, him? that's the thing. They found him a couple of months later, his body. Katie, you got this? Go ahead. They found his body a couple of months later, and he was so far gone at the time that an autopsy didn't reveal any specific cause of death. So I guess technically we don't know that he was murdered. Yeah. But in 1976, Leslie Van Houten's guilty verdict was thrown out by an appeals court in California because... The judge did not declare a mistrial for her because her defense attorney didn't show up for the last day of court. Why in the world would he not have declared that for her? It took two years for the for her to be reconvicted of those crimes. And so she ended up in jail where she was supposed to be. But Bugliosi says in Helter Skelter that in 76, when this all came up with the appellate court, that somebody called him and anonymously anonymously said, I'm a member of the Manson family. Or I know someone who's a member of the Manson family and they had Ronald Hughes killed. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. But that, Which Bugliosi they, says, we can't prove it, but that's what I was, somebody called me and told me that. And they, they thought it from the beginning when he was. Sure, that's just of very course. fishy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, one last indignity for Uh anybody who tried to give these asshats 
what little justice they were entitled to. Mm. A fair trial, sure, but... Yes, a fair trial and, and a competent defense. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's what this guy gets for trying. Ugh. Manson's defense attorney at the time's name is Irving Canerick, argued to the jury that the female defendants committed the Tate and LaBianca murders out of a love of the crime's true mastermind. The guy who's not there, Tex Watson, guy who's in Texas, mm-hmm. they are claiming he's the true mastermind behind these crimes and these women are in love with him. And so that's a pretty good defense coming it is. from that attorney. How is Charles, is Charles going along with this? or is he? He's fighting Canaric at... Every corner of the road. I I just did not see him standing for that being put out there. No, no, no. They're absolutely devoted to me. You know, I just didn't see him standing for that. But Charlie's already testified. He's he's got his testimony out of the way. So he's kind of. That brief statement that mm -hmm. he, or that statement that he made. That hour long rambling. That, that. Word salad, yes, basically word mm-hmm. salad, yeah. Um, and so text, so they're saying, oh, it was all text, and that's what the lawyers trying to say. Charlie's not having it. Is Charlie in court arguing with his lawyer while he's saying? He all of this? argues with the judge. At one point, he jumps over the table with a sharpened pencil and tries to attack the judge and screams out, "In the interest of Christian justice, you should have your head lopped off." That will get you a guilty verdict. Every time. He did that in front of the jury. So they hauled his ass into the holding cell next door and piped in the sound from the courtroom in a speaker so we could hear what was going on. That happened several times. They took the girls out. They took Manson out. There were a lot of times when they just got so unruly that the judge said, get the fuck out. Mm -hmm. This is a circus. It was a circus. But also, I go back to what I said last week. It's very evident that the individuals that you are dealing with here are mentally ill. Something is not right. And so you got to start wondering, is that going to be difficult? Is that going to actually hurt your case? Like, I know these people need to go away, but can you absolutely say death penalty? I guess the question is... Well, I don't want to spoil the surprise. But I guess the answer is, yes, you can. In 1969 (laughs) in California, when you've done this, it turns out you can. You can. Okay. Yeah, because the only other thing he's arguing is that Manson's being pros- or persecuted because of his lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't bring up any crazy talk. Well, Bugliosi is very complimentary of this Irving Canaric mm-hmm. because he's he's a very obstructionist defense attorney, and I'll oh, make this he short. Is objecting to everything. every single thing. I mean, Bugliosi says it takes him a couple of days to get through his opening statement because everything that he says, Canaric. Uh, objects to. In fact, there's one example of another case where uh, a case is just beginning and Canaric objects to someone stating his own name for the court because he says his mother told him that's his name and that's hearsay. <laughs> that's just one example of what Irvin Canaric does. Well, Irving, one of the reasons why this thing takes seven months is because of Irvin Canaric. Well, Irving, you. You, you have a birth certificate. He and spends it's a couple. Urban Canaric spends a couple of weekends in jail, having been uh, accused of uh, what's the term, Katie, for uh, contempt of court. Yeah. The judge sentences him to spend the weekend in jail, and this is a Friday afternoon. You get your ass to jail. I'll see you at seven o'clock Monday morning. <laughs> We've had. Enough of I'm you. done with you being an idiot in my courtroom. You've taken up. He does too that much. a couple of times. If only Judge Ito had done that. Oh, yeah. thank God. <laughs> 
or, 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 yeah, only. don't we wish that he would have? Yeah, that's a that's a story for a, a previous. Maybe Edo should have before. read about what uh, Judge Older did in the Manson trial. Maybe so. I don't know. I I kind of wish he had declared the mistrial though for for Van Houten for Van Houten. I mean, not because I wanted her to. To well, that's free, what the appellate court it did. Right. Yeah, just he got, because he got fixed. It, it was right, but it, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyways, well, anyways, his Canerick's ending argument lasts seven days. Mm-hmm. Good gosh! And it prompts the judge to say, "You know, this is no longer an argument. This is a filibuster. We're not doing this." I mean, yeah. where the I, again? I go back. If I'm the jury, I'm so angry right now. I and I at some point Manson yells and I forget exactly what he said, but he is yelling at Canerick as well saying, "Will you please stop doing this? You're making it worse." Well, and that some, just there's some That's sense. your argument right there because th- all these people are ready to go home. In Charles Manson's mind, I've already been convicted. I was convicted the day I walked in. I'm going to jail. I'm going to prison. I'm going to the gas chamber mm-hmm. for the rest of my life. Let's just get this over with. You're making it worse, my attorney, that I don't even want to begin with that the court forced on me. Mm-hmm. I don't even like you. Yeah. The judge doesn't even like you. Nobody, nobody likes, likes you. Nobody likes Irvin Canerick. I'll bet his wife is in hiding somewhere, or at least she was. <laughs> Gosh. Sorry. I, I'm going to end this trial on up, but last thing I want to say before we get into sentencing is that Bugliosi has a, a pretty good summation of his case at the end, and he talks about how Manson was this person who sent out from the fires of hell at Spawn Ranch three heartless, bloodthirsty robots. And unfortunately for him, one human being, whom he called the little hippie girl, Linda Kasabian. And Bugliosi ends uh, this with a roll call of the dead. He says, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, we have Sharon Tate, Abigail Folger, Wojtek Verkowski, Jay Sebring, Stephen Parent, Leno LaBianca, Rosemary LaBianca, they're not here with us in this courtroom, but from their graves, they cry out for justice. That's really good. That was, yeah, I got, yeah, hair standing up. Really good. And so the jury deliberates for a week, and it returns its verdict on January 25th, 1971. They find all defendants guilty on each count of first-degree murder. After hearing additional evidence in the penalty phase of the trial, the jury completed its work by sentencing each of the four defendants, or they offer their suggestion for sentencing, they sentence them all to death, and as they read the verdict, the clerk reads the verdict, Manson's shouting, you people have no authority over me, which uh, is not true. I mean, okay. Yeah. <laughs> the Patricia Krenwinkel's yelling, you have judged yourselves. Susan Atkinson is yelling, better lock your doors and watch your own kids. I mean, so we decide that we're going to- The nuttery continues. The, we're going to threaten the jury. Yep. Uh, Van Houten says, the whole system's a game. Okay. But the trial's over after nine months. It's been the longest and most expensive in American history. Good gosh. Go to jail, will you please? Well, Do not again, pass go. Just go to jail. Until Lance Ito got a hold of the OJ trial. <laughs> yeah. And then he screwed that up. Ugh. But Anyways. then we got a California Supreme Court ruling in 1972 that declares the state death penalty law unconstitutional so they never actually get any of them gets the death penalty because it is now unconstitutional in california so they are all in maximum security sections and they're serving life sentences of course scott mentioned earlier susan atkins has died of brain cancer yeah she died in 09 and then i think manson died in 17 and as far as i know van houten 
and Krenwinkle are still incarcerated. Yes. And is Tex Watson still alive? Because the story about Watson is they get him back to California in finally. September. Okay, mm-hmm. finally. But he's ruled incompetent to stand trial, and they send him to our old friend, Atescadero. Oh, my gosh. He spends some time in there, but it's February of 71 before he's ruled competent to stand trial. Uh, he goes on trial in August of 71, and in October of 71, he is found guilty and is also, I guess, Katie, sentenced to death because the Supreme Court has not ruled against... Same thing, and it gets commuted to yeah. life, too. So commuted so to life at, as well. did they release him from... A, a, a Tascadero? Yeah, he spent, he spent September of 71... I'm sorry, September of 70 to March of 71. Did they I'm sorry, February him? of 71. And they declared him competent to stand they trial. They didn't say he was cured. They just said he was competent. Competent to stand trial. <laughs> okay. And so he did. Because we and, know they, they freed someone they said was cured. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, would that be Edmund Kemper the third? Yeah. Yeah. It would be. Oopsie. But yeah, no, he's mm-hmm. still, he's in prison in San Diego currently. Okay, so he's still alive. Mm-hmm. Tex, they, is he the only one still alive? No. I think uh, Leslie and Patricia are both yeah, still alive. The only ones that are that have passed are Susan and Charles, so. Yeah. Yeah, Charles passed, was it a couple of years ago? 17. He, oh, okay, it's yeah. been a little bit longer. And there are, I mean, Leslie and Patricia have been granted parole a few times, and then the the governor of California has come down I was gonna say, and said, I, no. I think that amongst other people, the family of Sharon Tate lobbied the state government and the legislature to pass a law that allowed the governor to overrule the parole board Good. and rescind someone's parole if they had been granted by the parole board. And that's happened at least once, right, Katie, yeah. with with one of them, He's if happened, not both of them. And which governor is it? That's It was Jerry Brown initially who... And then it was... And then uh, 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 Gavin Newsom. Okay. Right, the yeah, current it, well, it governor. It wasn't. It wasn't. Um, Arnold. I know no, that. I don't, maybe it never came up. Arnold. I, I bet it just Arnold never came up. Probably not. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, think any governor would allow those two to uh, walk free. No. Yeah. Yeah. At all. So, hmm. so do we want to know a little bit about Charles's childhood and to kind of see where? Charles... Do we want to try to explain this? Well, I just have a little bit of information because yeah. I was charged with. You know, looking into, since I'm not a doctor and not a, you know, a psychiatrist, I was charged with, you know, looking into Charles's childhood and just to kind of see how does someone get to where they are from when they're born and then to get to that ranch that day and, and. And say it's time for Helter Skelter. Yeah. The behavior and all that. So I don't know if I'm going to shed any light on the subject for you, but I can give you a little bit of background of of how Charles was brought up. So he was born to a 16 year old girl named Kathleen Maddox on November the 12th, 1934 in Cincinnati, Ohio. Before being called Charles, the baby was known as no name Maddox for a few weeks. He was no name Maddox. Wow. And then finally he was named Charles Mills Maddox. Colonel Walker Henderson Scott Sr. was his father, and he was stationed at an army base nearby, but but never had anything to do with him and did not want anything to do with him. When Kathleen, who was Charles's mother, told the colonel that she was pregnant, mm-hmm. he was done. He was done with her. Um Kathleen soon began dating 
William Eugene Manson, and this is where Charles gets his last name. He had to get it somewhere. Mm-hmm. William Manson would go on drinking binges, and he would go missing for days, and then they didn't stay married long. I told you Charles was born in 1934. Well, Kathleen and William divorced in 1937. Okay. No. So he was around long enough just to give Charles his To name. give him a name. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kathleen would often leave Charles to fend for himself or with basically anyone who would keep him, and she would be gone for days on a binge. I heard she was a loose woman. Yeah. Drank a lot, slept around. Yes. Um, I think that's a little bit of a dated term, loose woman. But, you know. I'm just, I'm using terminology uh, from Helter Skelter. That is. That's the terminology from from there. Was she a sex worker? I, I think at times, if it's so benefited her. Yeah, if it paid the bills or put mm-hmm. groceries mm-hmm. on the table. Yes. Now, Kathleen received a 10-year sentence in prison for armed robbery in 1939, so Charles goes to live with his aunt and uncle in West Virginia. Kathleen was paroled in 1942 and soon could not deal with Charles, so she sends him to the Gibbalt School for Boys in Terre Haute, Indiana. He was kind of a behavioral problem at this Hmm. point. I'll pretend to be surprised if you like. Okay. So this school was for juvenile delinquents and it was run by Catholic priests. Now Charles is going to run away from this school twice. I think I would have as well. The first time he's going to go back home and then his mother's going to send him right back. Mm. So he won't make that mistake the second time. The second time he left, he went to Indianapolis and he earned money by burglaring various places at night stores, th- yeah. things like that. And then that's how he would survive. When he was caught, he was sent to Boys Town in Omaha, Nebraska. There, he stole a vehicle with another boy there and they took off. More robberies, etc. Were they headed anywhere? I, I remember reading that and I always wondered, were they headed somewhere in particular or Just not? Just away from there. Just away from there. Just away from there. He was caught and he was sent back to the Indiana Boys School. Now, Manson claims there at, he wasn't sent back. He was sent to the Indiana Boys School because he, he left Boys Town in Omaha. Different then, boys school. Yeah. Then he's in the Indiana Boys School. He claims... It is at the Indiana Boys School that he was beaten and raped pretty regularly there. Mm. He was a small kid. He was very small for his age. Yeah. Um, he failed two escape attempts there and finally succeeded in 1951. He was then sent to the National Training School for Boys in D.C. and was evaluated and determined to be, quote, aggressively antisocial, end quote. He was transferred to the Natural Bridge Honor Camp, and he was caught there raping another boy at Knife Point. He was transferred to the Federal Reformatory in Petersburg, Virginia. There, Manson was caught raping other boys. He was then transferred to a maximum security facility in Ohio. In 1954, he was released to live with his aunt and uncle, and he was 20 years old at the time. Charles had more run-ins with the law and was eventually released from prison in 1967. And this is where the family begins. Yeah. The quote, family. Begins. Yeah, that was on well, March the 21st, 1967. So this was Charles's life. Charles's life. No, and it did not. He was out of prison in 67, and then... 
we have these events that happen. I mean, this trial begins in 70. He's arrested in 69. So he, he is able to get this family together and brainwash all these women in the span of less than two years. Yeah, right? he yeah. goes straight to Haight-Ashbury. And remember, 67 was the summer of love, right? Mm-hmm. And we had, uh, at one point, there were 75,000 kids, I think we talked about this last week or the week before, young people from all over the country who had gone out to California, to San Francisco, to... Uh, Golden Gate Park in the Haight-Ashbury District to experience the summer of love. And there's one quote where Charlie says, I think he says it to Squeaky Fromm, who was the second girl that he picked up after Mary Brunner. She was the first member of the Manson family. But he says to her, and while he's picking her up and convincing her to join the family, I'm the gardeners and you girls are my little flowers. Mm-hmm. Or some words to that effect. And that's how he does it. He uh, he just convinces them that whatever it is that's missing in their lives, maybe they're one of his uh, patent uh, excuses or, or uh, methods of picking a girl up is, I'll bet you're here because you don't like your dad or you, you, you have daddy issues. Mm-hmm. That's a very easy thing to do for a girl that's sitting all by herself, 17, 18, 19 years old on a park bench in Hate ashbury wondering where her next meal is going to come from. Mm-hmm. And try the daddy issue thing, and he was happy to try to be that father figure, and that's what them. that's what he did. He filled in, and he 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 knew all of this lingo and all these persuasive methods of talking to people because he'd been incarcerated for seventeen of his thirty two years. Mm-hmm. So he knew the jail lingo, and he knew how to convince people to leave him alone because otherwise he was going to get raped in prison every day. Yes, and and you see, Charles's life is very tragic. Yes, from the beginning. Charles is no name. Yeah. And then kind of makes a name for himself. The day that he was released on March the 21st, 1967, he begged the authorities at that jail, I'm an, I'm institutionalized. Please mm-hmm. don't throw me back out into public. He didn't know how to I, I want to, jail is my home. I want to stay here. They kicked him out anyway. And two and a half years later, People are seven dead. people are dead, mm-hmm. at least Pro- mm-hmm. probably more, but seven that he's been convicted of and and spent the rest of his life in prison mm-hmm. for conspiring to commit. Now, Charles, a- according to my references and resources here, Charles Manson's actual diagnosis or final diagnosis was antisocial personality disorder, which is typically what they usually give. That was the like uh, Charles Manson. Yeah, but some of Charles's behavior. And the things that he said, it, I imagine it would be very difficult because Charles also used a lot of drugs, mm-hmm. a lot of hallucinogenics, LSD. That was another way he controlled his family. Yeah. Um, so I guess it would be kind of hard, but he also, he has some, or displays some symptoms of schizophrenia at times, but that could easily be the drugs that he okay. was taking. So I guess it would be very difficult to, but, but he never received that diagnosis officially. A- according to my sources, his yeah. official diagnosis was antisocial personality disorder because of the violence, the, the lack of remorse. The, you yeah. know, we've talked about that on this. The show diagnosis du jour back in those days, right? Ba- basically for the population of people that we talk about yeah. here. Yeah. You right. can hear that a lot, mm-hmm. but I always go back through his childhood and and kind of look at it, and it's very, very tragic to me. It's very sad. There are no winners. He never had a chance to succeed in life. I just think that I don't know where I would have ended up if that had been my childhood. That's a fair statement for any of us, I think. I mean, Mm -hmm. you, 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 you bang your head against the wall so many times, and you just turn around and run the other way. 
Yeah, and I'm not trying to make. And an you excuse. don't care where that is. You're just tired of this, right? I'm not trying to make an excuse because I think anybody who's watched an interview with Charles Manson when he would come up for parole occasionally, and they would do those interviews with him, and basically he's telling them, "If you let me out, I'm just going to go do the same yeah. thing." I always wondered if he did that on purpose so he could just stay, or if he truly believed that. I never, I never could get a sense of which one that maybe was. a little of both could have been. So you you see those interviews with Charles Manson and you know this individual needs to be incarcerated forever. He mm. does not need to see the light of day. And he never did. Right. He never did. But um, I often found myself wondering, is he so... I mean, he said he's institutionalized. Does, mm-hmm. does he not want to be out? Does he want to continue this helter-skelter? Is it a little bit of both? Yeah. <laughs> so, I think anyway. everybody had too much fun in California in the late 60s. And Goodness he was just me. one of the many, unfortunately. Goodness me, and I, I hate it. And so I, I, I'm glad that we've learned a little more about Sharon Tate because she just gets always lost in the shuffle with mm-hmm. this. You hear about her, but also the LaBiancas, they get completely lost yes. in the shuffle. When you start talking about Manson, you know, the Sharon Tate name. It always will ends come up, up. The focus always ends up back on Manson. It is, but it the him and the followers and. And I'm glad to know that I learned about Sharon Tate and I learned about Jay Sebring and I learned about the LaBiancas and I learned about um, Frakowski Fr- and Folger and Folger. And, and I enjoyed that part about that and learning about the Alabama ties that I did not, I was unaware of both of those when we started this. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm excited. I think you guys did an incredible job. Thank you so much for that. Um, follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Go to our website, truecrimeoneasystreet.com. You forgot Twitter. We're on Twitter uh-huh. as well. That's true. And I recently hear Tommy Lee was on Twitter making some uh, waves recently. Oh, That's Lord, I've missed for this. Uh, yeah, you're going to have to fill Tommy us in Lee on that. Tommy Lee recently broke the internet uh, trying to promote his Again, new he did that 20 years ago with another part of his anatomy. Uh, it was that same anatomy. Ah, the same part. Okay. Ah. That same anatomy. Uh, <laughs> you can get some nudity on Twitter. Has shown up on Twitter and, okay. is, as I understand it, is still there and is causing a lot of stink. And that's happening in real time right now. So I'll take your word for it. Yeah, yeah. I, that's what I was like. Mm, I'm what good. are we doing next? I mean, it's scary time coming up. Can we talk about anything? that we're going to do or are you going to poke me in the eyes with that pencil you're holding if I try to we say anything? We are not. I'm going to pull a Manson and I'm going to jump over my table Don't. and come at you. All right, never mind. So we'll no. just, you'll have to tune in next week to find out the next crazy thing we're going to do here on True Crime on Easy Street. Yep. Is that it? Are we done? That's, That's it. Nothing else to talk about? Nothing. It seems weird, but whatever. Good night, everybody.